City First, how are we feeling? Anyone feeling good? Excited that spring is coming? Done with the winter? Man, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for everything that God's doing at this church. And before I dive in, can we just thank God for the pastors of this house? How many of you love your pastors, Pastor Jeremy and Jen? I think you could do a little bit better than that. Come on. Let them feel all the love and appreciation. We love you. We honor you. I'm so grateful for you. So grateful. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of the team. I'm excited for this. If, if we've not met before, I, I get the beautiful privilege of, of being here often with you all and helping to teach and preach the word of God and being a part of what God is doing here. I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. I have a beautiful family, a wife of 18 years named Jairus, two beautiful children, Dylan and Chloe. Yeah, we thank God for that. My son Dylan turns 17 next week. My, my daughter Chloe is 14 and she absolutely loves this church. Uh, she's angry that she's not with me, uh, so pray for her as she works through that anger. Um, but this is her church. She, she, she tells me all the time how much she, she loves you all. So thank you for just loving my family in that regard. Um, and a little bit about what I do. I get to travel the world full time. And there are certain churches like this church where I get to come in a little bit more and be a part of the teaching team and, and, and just deliver the word of God. I also serve as the chaplain for the Brooklyn Nets and and currently leading something in New York called Soho Bible Study, which is happening once a month. We started last October, and now we're just seeing people uh, gather on a Monday evening in Soho, Manhattan, in a hair salon on the second floor, and people are getting saved, and it's, it's powerful. And So thank you. Thank you for praying for us. And I'm excited for this, this word where I get the privilege of kicking off this series titled Analog Faith. And it's beautiful. It's, it's so smart of your pastors to, to come around this, this idea that we just get back to the basics, the, the, the basic truths of our faith. Because here's what I know about basic when it comes to the word of God. Basic leads to blessing. So this, this series is literally setting you up for a blessed life. And today, I want to talk to you about the importance of reading the word of God. I know that, that sounds so basic as a, as a believer, but let me prove to you from the very beginning why that even will lead you to blessing. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6. In his very first sermon, he says this, you are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Come on, how good is that? He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. And today I want to speak to you from this thought, the power of the word. How many of you would agree that the word of God is powerful? Anybody? Come on, who would say the word of God is powerful? If that's you, make some noise. The word of God is powerful. Okay. So here's what I know. Here's what I know. In order, in order for the power of God's word to take place in your life, it must be consumed. It is powerful, but you will not see that power permeate through your life if you do not consume it for yourself. We have to digest it. We have to eat of it. Come on, somebody shout out, let's eat. Uh, all, of my, all of my life, I've had this this 
thought that I had healthy eating habits only to find out that I was deceived. I thought, I thought by starving myself all day, not eating breakfast, but having a black cup of coffee, skipping lunch, and eating whatever I wanted for dinner, that somehow that was okay for me. And then I would reward myself in the evening after everyone went to bed by eating a late night snack, preferably a bowl of cereal. And that's the good thing about being a parent, by the way, because when you're a parent, you have an excuse for still buying the sugary cereals. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you don't have kids and it's just you and your spouse, you got to, you know, be mature, maybe buy Wheaties or, or Rice checks. But the moment you get kids, it's like, boom, Fruity Pebbles, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Like, like we have access to all that again, which, which side note, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is my favorite cereal of all time. And somehow I feel like that's biblical. Like I feel like God created Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm telling you, like it talks about in the Old Testament, manna fell from heaven. I'm pretty sure that was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Like... Like, that's, that's God. Anybody else agree? True men and women of God right there, my people, my people. <laughs> but so, so here's what I found out. Here's what I found out just, just a little bit over a year ago. That's not a healthy diet. Like, if I want to get in shape and if I want to shed some unnecessary pounds, you actually don't eat less. I was actually told I needed to eat more. My mind was blown. You're telling me if I eat more, I'll lose weight? My trainer was like, yeah. I was like, eat when? He's like, oh, it's, it's amazing. The morning and the afternoon and then the evening. I'm like, you have names for this? He's like, yeah. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Does everyone know this? He said, yeah, if you eat regularly and if you eat clean, you'll actually lose weight. And then he told me, this part blew my mind, you could actually eat carbs at every meal. Amen. Because I thought that the, the key to health was running away from carbs at every possible opportunity only to reward myself with late night carbs from running from them all day. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like run away from them, but in the evening when no one else is around, eat it so you award yourself because no one knows how hard you worked from running from them all day. He said, no, that's not it at all. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, eat more and you'll lose weight. Consume more and you'll be more healthy. And I learned that the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life. If I want to be a healthy man, if you want to be a healthy woman, if you want to be a healthy parent, a, a healthy believer, a, a strong Jesus follower, the best thing you could do, hear me, is eat more of the word of God. If your relationship is simply contingent on getting the word of God the one day of week that you go to a service you are actually leading a very unhealthy spiritual life. And I do not say that to judge you. Here it is. I say that to encourage you. I say that to point you in the right direction because what I've learned in Christianity is that we have a whole lot of Christians that are simply malnourished. I want you to write it down this way. You will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. You will starve when your biblical appetite 
is famished. Famished. The word of God is something that we need to be consuming regularly, daily. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. God doesn't just speak through preachers. God wants to speak to you directly. In fact, the very thing that we're about to celebrate on Easter, the fact that Jesus died for my sins, he didn't just die to take my place. He died so that he could speak to me in my place. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us direct access between us and him? Because before that, we would have to go to somebody else to speak on our behalf just so that we could get a word from God. But when he died on that cross and resurrected, he made it so that we could go straight to him and he can come straight to us. So when you miss out on the opportunity to speaking to God for yourself, what you are saying is I will trust secondhand information from somebody else as opposed to hearing from the source myself. Your soul will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. You could substitute that term soul for any other title in your life, and that statement still reads true. In fact, it might be a little bit more practical for you. Your your marriage will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. Your finances will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. Your parenting will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. Your your self-discipline will starve when your biblical appetite is famished. So the word that God gave me to give to you is simply this. Eat. Somebody shout out, let's eat. The Holy Spirit gave it to me in this acronym, and I want you to write it down. We're gonna we're gonna use this word eat as a sermon structure for the next few moments. E stands for engage. You are to engage with the word of God. The A stands for acknowledge. You are acknowledging that you need the word of God. T stands for Train. You are training with the word of God so that you could be prepared for life. Let's start with E. Somebody say engage. You engage the word of God because your soul needs it. You engage the word of God because your soul needs it. You engage the word of God because your marriage needs it. You engage the word of God because your finances need it. You engage the word of God because your mental peace needs it. You engage the word of God because your anxiety needs it. You engage the word of God so that your depression can be fought off. You engage the word of God so that you could be a man and woman of purity. You engage the word of God because you need it. And to act and to act like we don't need it is one of the greatest deceptions that this world wants to offer you. No, no, no. I need it, so therefore I engage it. Now, here's a good question to start with. How do I engage it? I engage it by ingesting it. Go on ahead and write that down. I ingest the word of God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. It says this, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Let me just say this real quick. Your words were found. People will say all the time, God's not speaking. I would say God's already spoken. But if you don't know where to look, you won't find them. 
If you open up the word of God, you'll find everything it is that you need for every area of your life, for every, for every aspect of your life, for every season of your life. If you're going through a difficult season right now, I'm so sorry for what you're dealing with, but let me encourage you to open up to the word of God. If you're going through financial struggles right now, I'm so sorry for the position that you're in, but let me encourage you to go to the word of God because when you find the word of God, here's what happens ultimately it gives you hope and as a result of it those words will bring you joy now here's some good news who could use more joy who could use more joy in their life in their marriage with their children with their spouse with their finances in their love life in the job right we could all use more joy well then you got to know where to look you will find God's joy when you look to God's word. You will find God's joy when you look to God's word. And as a result, it becomes the delight of your heart. So because I find it, here it is, I don't just look at it, I continue to look at it. So I don't just ingest it, I study it. Go on ahead and write that down. Each and every one of us are all called to be students of the word of God. In fact, there is an expectation from God that you would be a student of the word of God. This is why 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me help you and break down what this is not saying, okay? Here's what it's not saying. It's not saying to study to show thyself approved unto God, because one day you're gonna be tested in heaven. It's not saying that. Can you imagine that? You get up to heaven and Peter or one of the other saints, right, of the word of God stand before you and you go, you wanna get into the Holy of Holies? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. I've been, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. I've been dying. In fact, I'm dead now and I'm here and now I cannot wait to engage with the Holy of Holies. And he goes, all right, how many verses you got? And you go, what do you mean? How many you got memorized? I need at least seven. Seven's the number of completion. Okay, seven. All right, let me figure this out. Yeah, you can't use Jesus wept because, come on, that's the shortest verse. And John 3, 16, really? You could do better than that. You are never going to stand before God and he's going to quiz you in order to, be, to, to give you approval. But when you study the word of God, you learn how you are approved. And you receive approval. So when it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, you know what it's really saying? It says, study the word of God so that when the enemy attacks you and life throws temptation your way, you have a scripture that you could pull out and you could apply in that moment. This isn't about studying so that you're smarter than anyone else. This is about studying so that you could be the wisest version of yourself. Because we have too many people that are relying on practice practical information that is actually useless and they're applying it to their life because it's the only information they know. But when I study and I show them myself approved, I am showing myself approved when temptation comes my way, when frustration comes my way, and the enemy tells me lies and saying, you're never going to go forward. You're not forgiven. But I have a scripture that says God is for me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. There's nothing in all this world, neither height nor depth, angel nor demon, past nor present, that could separate me from the love of God. I will be able to know the difference between God's word and the enemy's word. And when you're not careful, when you're not careful, when you're not studying, it is easy to confuse the two. But the more you study, the more you'll know. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. And then it goes on, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. In other words, you don't have to be ashamed what you're going through because when you study the word of God, we all deal with anxious moments. We all deal with overwhelming moments. We all deal with financial burdens and struggles. We all deal with moments in our marriage and in our, in our parenting where we go, man, I, I thought I would have known better than this by now. Anyone ever felt like that? My goodness, I just turned 40, and I have moments with my kids. I was, my kids are 17 and 14. I was a youth pastor for over a decade before all that, and I have moments going, what was I saying all these years? Why was I telling parents what to do? I didn't have a clue. When I study the word of God, here's what I realize. I don't need to be ashamed because the word of God is saying, I wasn't expecting you to know it. I know it. I was expecting you to look for it. And when you look for it, you could apply it to your life, which will then allow you to rightly divide what's true from what's not true. We're able to take what's right and we're able to separate it from what's not right. Which is why it leads me to my next question. Why do I engage? And here it is. This is some strong theology because I'm not smart enough to make it on my own. I purposely wrote I so that you don't get offended. You know what I mean? Like, you're not smart enough to make it on your own. You're like, well, your mother's not smart enough. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm just saying me. I mean, maybe you are smart, but, but here's the hunch I get. None of us are smart enough to make it on our own. This is why Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your, your paths straight. Lean not on your own understanding. I, I, I find this so interesting because, like I said, I did young adult ministry for a long time, and young adults are amazing for using Christian language when it works for them. You know what I mean? Like, like all of a sudden they know how to speak in the King James when they want to get their way. Like, like I've met with so many young adults that have told me that, that oh, Pastor Chris, I, I found my wife. And I'm like, no, you didn't. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I, I found my Ruth. And I'm like, there's not a Ruth in our church. Well, no, her, her name is Shaniqua, but you know what I mean? Ruth, Old Testament. I found my Ruth, and all I'm thinking is last week you told me you found another Ruth, and that didn't work out, but now you found a, another, another Ruth only a week later? Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're leaning on your own understanding. It sounds like you're leaning on what you want to happen, so therefore you're leaning with your weight, and you're putting your weight on something that you shouldn't be touching at all. So if I say to them a week later, hey, how's Ruth? Like, ah, oh, bro, that was, she wasn't Ruth, that was Jezebel. You know what I mean? Like... All of a sudden, it, it, it switches, and here's what I know. Here's what I know, and it takes one to know one. If you would have just taken the wisdom from the word of God, you would have known you ran into that too quickly. There's time for everything. Don't arouse love before it's time. In other words, it takes time. There's nothing that happens automatic or quick, but when I lean on my own understanding, you know what it tells me? My own understanding says that for everyone else, they got to take their time, but for me, it could happen suddenly because I want it to happen that way, and I would say, you watch too much Disney because the Word of God is slow cooking. 
The word of God is hardly automatic. Do I believe that a miracle could happen? Absolutely. But the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is a theme of two things, harmony and stewardship. Harmony and stewardship. And you do not get harmony without stewardship. Stewardship is a conscious decision each and every day to take what the word of God says and apply it to my life. And it is the little by little by little that I make it to where it is that God has for me. Lean on, lean not on your own under. Stand there. I was talking to my friend the other day, and he was telling me the story. It was hysterical. He was telling me how, how his, his friend was telling him a story, how this other guy was trying to get him to lend him some money, which is always funny. He said the guy said to him, bro, trust me. <laughs> to which the guy responded, brother, ever since I realized that I lied to myself, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> How good is that? Ever since I realized that I could lie to myself, I don't even trust myself. You want me to trust you? I think that's a really good approach to life. I know how to lie to myself. When I want something really bad, I know how to lie to myself. I'm the guy that will work out four or five times and tell myself that I deserve a cheat meal. You know what I mean? I had like three days of clean eating. Now all of a sudden, yeah, you deserve a cheat meal. Who said? I said. You're not the trainer. I know, but you know, I just feel like I earned that grilled cheese at midnight. <laughs> Lean not on your own understanding because in your own understanding, you will find yourself in a place of self-deception. I don't, I don't trust me. I trust God. This is why, this is why if we're going to talk about engaging with the word of God, we need to acknowledge what it is about the word of God that we need. Go on ahead and write that word down, acknowledge. What am I acknowledging? Acknowledge that you can't survive without the word of God. You have to acknowledge it. The same way that we all acknowledge that we can't live without breathing. I acknowledge that I cannot move forward without the word of God. I, I will not see true life. I will live a life, but I will live a lesser version of the life that I was destined to live. This is why Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. In other words, as I read this word, as I go, it activates as a light. And when I'm thinking I should go straight, but I see the light, it tells me to turn left. And when I'm reading it, I need to turn right. And when I'm not realizing and when I'm not paying attention, I could end up in a ditch. But when I read the word of God, it's going to show me where to step and where not to step. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you read the word of God, your life is going to automatically be great. But what I am saying, when you read the word of God, even when life isn't great, it's going to show you how to deal with it. When life is difficult, it's going to show you how to take it on. When, when hardship comes your way, when mourning comes your way, when grief comes your way, when difficulty comes your way, when attacks come your way, it's going to show you how to handle it, which is why, here's what I acknowledge, this word is for me. You ever been in church with somebody and the pastor says something good and the person next to you hits you and goes, that's for you? Come on, if you're here with your spouse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wives, you are brilliant at doing that. You, you're great at doing that to your husbands and your children. You know what I mean? They, they say something about a wayward child. You're like, hey, listen now, you know. I would encourage you that when you are reading the word of God, take that same mindset, but talk about you. Like, ooh, this is for me. 
that, man, this, this is for me. Can God give you a word for somebody else? For sure. But here's what I've learned. He's not going to give you a word for someone else if you haven't received the word yourself. This is why, here's the second acknowledgement. I want you to write this down. Acknowledge that you are not the rescuer of the Bible. You are the rescued. Come on, that's good preaching right there. You need to acknowledge that you are, the, you are not the rescuer of the Bible. You are the rescued. You are not the rescuer of the Bible. You are the rescued. You are not the rescuer of the Bible. You are the rescued. Who is the rescuer of the Bible? Jesus and Jesus alone. We have one Savior, and his name is Jesus. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords, which means when I am reading this Bible, and I am reading all the good stories in this book, that I do not make myself to be the hero in the story. That will keep you from developing a savior's complex. And if you apply this right, it will keep you humble and submitted before God. Take, for instance, the story of David and Goliath. Have you heard that one before? The story of David and Goliath. It's a powerful story where, where there's this shepherd boy named David. He shows up to a war where the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, and he's an Israelite, but he's too young to be at the battle. But the Israelites are losing because the Philistines have this massive giant named Goliath, and, and Goliath is big, bad, and mean, and the Israelites are totally scared to approach this Goliath. But then David shows up out of nowhere, and he says, I'll take on this. Goliath. Now, if you're reading the story, it is great to draw from the confidence of a David and the speech that David gives, because if you ever read it, you know, he has some words in there. It's like Christian cussing. He says, you uncircumcised Philistine. You're like, ooh, that's good right there. And he, he just, he gives it to him and he's talking trash to him and he's, he's telling him what he's going to do. You could draw from the strength of David. However, in the story of David and Goliath, none of us are David. David is a foreshadow of Jesus. Goliath is a foreshadow of death. So when David kills Goliath, it is a picture of what's to come in the New Testament of Jesus, the greater David, showing up to the battlefield and conquering the enemy that none of us could conquer on our own. So when David conquers Goliath, it is a picture of Jesus conquering death. So if I read the story, who am I in the story? Well, my friends, we are never the main character. We are supporting cast at best. You know who we are? We're the scared soldier standing off on the sideline. That after Goliath falls down, we're able to run on the field with joy because David was able to take down Goliath. Jesus was able to conquer death. And it wasn't by our own doing, but it was by the doing of Jesus that now allows me to be on this field and I can run with freedom and I can run with joy. Friends, it is essential that when you are reading this word, you do not make yourself the hero. In fact, dare I say it this way, we are never the hero, we're always the villain. We are the villain in the story that was saved by this hero, undeserving to anything that we've accomplished or conquered on our own. And then he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. So even though we're unrighteous, he treats us as righteous. Even though we're wrong, he makes us right. And the reason we're so grateful for this Savior is because we were so undeserving of saving, and yet he saved us anyway. 
And when you read the word of God that way, not only does it make it all plain, it keeps you grateful. It keeps you humble. It works away at that self-righteousness. Oh, my goodness. You, you ever been on that, that place called the Internet and go on social media and somebody posts a clip about the grace of God? Now I'm getting really personal, you know. I'm acting like it's somebody else, but I'm talking about me. You know, somebody to post a clip about grace, and then there are thousands of comments of people attacking you and go, no, you're going to hell, and no, that's wrong, and don't tell people they're forgiven because then they're going to think they could sin, and you're like, what? You want me to hide the grace of God? Are you... I can't read this thing and get away from the grace of God because what I've learned is that grace is the, is the constant theme from Old Testament to New Testament, and it's because of the grace of God that I could only be here, and if I'm undeserving of it, who am I to hold back that grace from anybody else who has failed or has made a mistake? I want to extend it, and I want to encourage them, and I want to support them the way that I've been supported. This is why you're not just reading the Bible so that you could know you're, leading the, you're reading the Bible so that you could grow. Become the man and the woman that he called you to be. So we engage and we acknowledge. And then what do we do? We train. Why do we train? We train ourselves to be led by the word. Do you know that by doing an activity once will never make you an expert? And if something is going to be a lifestyle, it's not just something that you get to every so often. It's something that you do repeatedly over and over and over. This is why 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 is so important. Look what it says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction. For reproof and for correction, not just correcting others, correcting ourselves. And for training in righteousness, for training in righteousness. That word righteous could sound scary, right? But here's what righteous means or righteousness means. It simply means you're saved. And if you are saved, you now have the righteousness of God. So if you want to learn how to be a Christian, all you do is you take all the scripture all the scripture, Old Testament and New, New Testament, and you read it and you work through it and it allows you to grow and it allows you to train in righteousness. It allows you to train in your Christianity that the man of God may be complete, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's good work? Every work that's set in front of you, marriage, parenting, finances, business, prayer, full-time ministry, not full-time ministry, whatever it is, it trains you for all of it. When you dive into the word of God daily, you are submitting yourself to taking God's master class at becoming the person that he designed you to be. And not only, not only does it prepare you to be equipped with the word of God, but the word of God equips you to take on the devices and the plans of the enemy. I want you to write down this way. Training prepares you for life's hardest moments. Because here's the thing about life. It happens all the time. You know that hardship doesn't check with HR on when it could visit you? It doesn't have to fill out a report when it could attack you. Attacks don't just happen between 9 to 5. They don't just happen when you're ready for them. 
This is why the word of God says in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. There is an expectation that you are prepared when? In season and out of season. Not when you study for it, but when you are, when you are unprepared for it. And here's what the word of God says. Well, if you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. Because you're prepared in season and out of season with great patience and careful instruction. So when life comes at you and the unexpected dilemma shows up in your marriage and the unexpected dilemma shows up with your children, shows up in your health, shows up with your job, shows up with your peace. Now you are able to take the word that you've been studying and you can now apply it in the moment. And can I also say, if I just want to stand 10 toes down on this, Jesus expects you to know what he said. I know that can sound hard because so often we talk about Bible reading, it sounds like a suggestion, but really my friends, it's an expectation. Look at Mark 12, verse 10. Jesus says, have you not read this scripture? And then he goes on to quote a scripture. And then look at this next verse. It says, Mark 12, 26, but concerning the raising of the dead, have you not read in the book of Moses? And then he responds to the people and he gives them wisdom. But, but what's the emphasis? Have you not read? Yeah. Ha have you not studied? And here's the thing about our God. He's only expecting us to do what he does himself. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is tempted by the enemy. Have you heard that one before? Yeah. Satan offers him three temptations. Well, in every response that Jesus gives to Satan, you know what he does? He responds with scripture, which is beautiful because he's Jesus. Anything that would have came out of his mouth would have been scripture. But he doesn't decide to say a new thing. He says an old thing. But you're not going to be able to say what was said if you haven't read it for yourself. This is why when Jesus responds to Satan, can you put that on the screen for me? He says, it is written. And he answered and he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, man shall not live on, on just food alone, but he should eat of the word that comes from out of the mouth of God. It is written, but my friends, if you don't know what is written, you're not gonna know what to say. And what I'm trying to tell you is that when life comes your way and hardship comes your way, you don't have to be reactive if you're being proactive, if you are a student of the word of God. If you are studying this book for yourself, your life will go better. Your, your, your peace will go better. Your joy will be there with you. Your understanding will be there. The wisdom will be there. I just think of all the men in the room, husbands, when our wives ask us questions that we wish we would have known. I want to be the one. Every time I have a moment like that, I want to be a better husband. I don't ever want my wife to have doubt that I know what I'm talking about. When my kids come to me, I don't want my kids to have doubt that I know what I'm talking about. So you know what I'm doing? I'm not just studying for me. I'm studying for me so that I could be a reflection to them. I'm studying for me so that I could be a help to them. I'm studying for me so I could be a guide to them because what I am intaking, they're also going to eat. And if my diet is poor, then their diet is going to be poorer. And what is a poor diet for me is going to be a normal diet for them. Man. But, but if I'm blessed, if I take it in, that means they're going to be blessed as well. It's a story in the Bible. There's a lot of stories, right? But in the book of Daniel, there's these three Hebrew boys. And they're taken to a foreign land. 
And the king is saying, I want you to eat my food. And I want you to worship my God. And these three Hebrew boys, they go, no, we're not going to do it. And they choose not to eat what, what is offered to them. And as they're not eating, they're actually not getting weak, but they're getting strong. Because here's the thing about eating. You're not just eating what's available. You're eating what's appropriate. You're not just eating any wisdom that life throws your way. Which, by the way, oh, it seems like we have wisdom everywhere. This is why we are following actors and we're listening to their politics. We, we're looking at someone that's a millionaire that made money off of modeling and they, we hear what they say about God and we think they're right simply because they have money. That's what's available. I want what's appropriate. They say, I'm not eating and I'm not bowing down. And somehow, because of the grace of God, why? Because when you, when you eat of the word of God, what happens? You'll be blessed. They get stronger over time. You know why? Because the enemy cannot starve who God is feeding. When you get your meals from God, it does not matter what the enemy throws your way. Friends, can I ask you right now to lean in with all your heart and not just think of this moment and go, all right, I'll try it for a few weeks. But if really you go 10 toes down, you go, you know what? I have not been a good reader. I have not been disciplined. I've always struggled getting up in the morning. I'm usually just rushing out the house. But you know what? I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier and I'm just going to, I'm going to just spend some time reading. And even if I can't read a whole chapter, I'll read a verse. Or even if I can't read, read a whole, a whole, a whole book, I'll, I'll start with this verse over here. And I'll, I'll go back to that book that I said I was going to read in January. And I'll continue reading Matthew or Mark or Luke and not feeling ashamed, but going, God, I, I, I want to be a better student. Because I'm telling you, blessing is on the other side of it. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman that, that, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's what the word of God says. Let them eat of it. And my prayer is that we, be, we would be those that eat of his word and watch his promises and blessings permeate in our lives. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. But before I do, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your moment. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, this is your moment. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you are saved. That's what the Bible says. I know because I read it myself. If you want to give your life to him, I'm going to count to three. If that's you, you shoot up your hand. One. Jesus loves you and he died specifically for you. Two, tomorrow's not promised to any man or any woman, but today is the day of salvation. If that's you and you want to give your life to him, lift up your hand now. Three, lift it up. Beautiful. Man, Jesus, keep those hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Jesus, 13, 14, 15. Hallelujah. 16, I see you. Yep, 17, 18, 19. I see you. Jesus, Jesus, 20. Jesus, Jesus. Amazing. All of you that lifted up your hands, even if I didn't get to count, it doesn't matter. Jesus sees it. He, all of you that lifted up your hands, I want you to repeat this. In fact, let's repeat it together. Say, Jesus, you are king. You are Lord. Forgive me of my sins and all my wrongdoing. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. All of you with your hands lifted up, let me pray this over you right now. Father God, I pray. Come on, all of us, let's lift up our hands. I pray that we would be men and women 
men and women that consume your word, that we would be students of the faith, that we would be men and women, oh God, that develop the self-discipline of consuming your word and eating of your word and engaging and acknowledging and training and engaging and acknowledging and training that we would grow and mature and as a result of it, we would see the blessings over our marriage. We would see the blessings over our finances. We would see the blessings over our lives and over our children and over our legacy and over our businesses. And we say, God, right now, we commit our life to you and our hearts to you. Allow us to understand it as we read it and develop this appetite. And God, we promise when it is all said and done to give you and you alone all the praise, all the glory and honor. If you believe that, come on, can you shout amen?